The Start On Demand. On demand. On Monday night, the House of Commons passed the Emergencies Act. Tuesday morning on The Start, we spoke with Liberal MP and Northern Affairs Minister Dan Van Dal, and we spoke to a couple of professors and security experts to get reaction and ask the question, what's next? The third most snow of all time up to February 22nd, another dose of extreme cold. We check in with Rob Zobbs to find out just what is happening with this winter. And we had a lot of fun this morning talking about our favorite smells. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, February 22nd podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. And we're off and running as after winter just pounded us again over the weekend. Greg, we're having some technical difficulties. Loren having a hard time getting the commander to connect. So hi, Well, the commander might need uh, a demotion based (laughs) on the way it's acting this morning. But I'm sure we'll get things sorted out. Uh, Happy Tuesday to you, Brett. Uh, the long weekend, uh, I think a, a sight for sore eyes for so many people. I don't know what you got up to. I, I saw you Friday for the first time in forever, but uh, busy day on Saturday. We were downtown, went to the hockey game Saturday afternoon, and my goodness, I don't remember the last time I was in a traffic jam as we were heading towards the hockey game. The renovation show was on at the convention center. The traffic was crawling down St. Mary Avenue, and I have to confess, I kind of liked it. You liked the, being in a traffic, just being surrounded by people. Yeah, it was just a, a sense of normalcy, just for a little bit, and then, of course, the, the arena wasn't full, but it was close to full on Saturday, and and so that was excellent as well to get out and, and meet and bump into people, you know, something that was commonplace. All of a sudden, you were missing, and uh, it was nice to, to get back out in the public and just uh, accidentally bump into people that you know. I was hoping to uh, spend some time with some friends on Saturday. We had plans to do some virtual golf, and uh, there's a place on McGilvery. It's near the perimeter, uh, just sort of east of the perimeter. One of my buddies actually works down the street from there, and he was going to go into work in the morning, and then we were going to go in the afternoon. But uh, I don't know why I didn't think of this on Friday, because I knew what the forecast was for Saturday. And when I woke up on Saturday and heard the wind, I thought, oh, man, we're not going to make it out there and then sure enough it was blizzard conditions on Saturday so uh, we called that off so that was frustrating because um, not because I you know whatever I didn't get to go play some virtual golf but it was you know I was hoping to see some friends I hadn't seen in a couple of weeks in one case and for the other two guys it's been a few months so that was a that was a bit of a bummer uh, got kind of got the long weekend off to uh uh, worse start. I'm just glad though that be, <laughs> that I live in an apartment and don't have to do any shoveling. Some of the pictures I saw on social media were were quite frankly just like hilarious. Uh, there's one woman I don't know where she lives. Um, it's just an old friend, but uh, uh, she took a picture from inside her garage. She opened the door and and the the entire door frame was just snow, like right up to the top of the door. <laughs> We have some very impressive snow drifts in our backyard. Uh, The dogs have been looking at us like, really, you want us to go out there for the last few days? So finally, I sent the boys out there on Saturday and said, guys, we got to get some paths going here for the dogs so that they can get uh, more than three feet from the back door. So we managed to do that. The driveway is in deplorable condition, but it's at least passable. But my goodness, these roads especially the residential streets are in rough, rough shape, but did find out Sunday night uh, through the grapevine. I didn't see it widely widely publicized, but the city of Winnipeg planning a residential plow that starts 7 a.m. on Wednesday morning. So that'll be good news for a lot of people because even the major thoroughfares, boy, there are places where three lanes have become two and two just barely. 
And there are other places where it's almost impossible. If you meet a vehicle coming one way, if you're on a residential street and they're coming from one direction and you're, say, heading in the direction where you're sharing the right-hand lane with uh, parked cars, good luck. You better have uh, some ESP and some extra extra communication going on with the people coming because if they get too far uh, down that road, uh, it's impossible to get three wide on a on a residential street in so many places right now so th- this will be good a lot of the p1s and p2s got plowed over the last couple of days and just a tip of the hat to everyone who's been working overtime overtime on top of overtime to try and keep the streets clear i can't imagine doing that job ever again Mackling mcgarry and McNabb, we do believe loren are you there Oh, hello. Is this working? Yes, we can hear you. I need to do like a... (laughs) (laughs) For the first time since I've been home, I think this feels like a first. I'm having some technical difficulties with my Commander G3. So I've switched over to something else. And we're going to see how this goes for the morning. And hopefully I will remain on air. Yeah, I know that's our engineer... Mike is on the case trying to figure out what exactly is happening. And here's another technical difficulty. As Forte pointed out, we can't even watch the program that's on down the hall, Global News Morning. We usually have it on in our studio here. All I see on my TV is to subscribe to this channel. Please call Uh Sean. (laughs) Somebody forgot to pay the bill. (laughs) Ah, So we're off and running here on uh, Tuesday morning. But uh, Loren, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. Uh, good to be back. I, I couldn't believe I know you guys have already talked about this, but I have to send you a picture when the sun's fully up of our driveway because we now have half a driveway because the other half is all snow. I, I was away this weekend and came home and thought, oh boy. <laughs> so there's that. All right. Looking forward to seeing that pick. And we're getting lots of picks as well at 204-780-6868 from various locations throughout southern Manitoba. Feel free to share. And uh, we will groan along with you, I'm sure. But we want to talk right now, of course, about how the House of Commons has now voted in favor of using the Emergencies Act, which Prime Minister Justin Trudeau invoked to end the protest blockades in Ottawa and at multiple border crossings. Global's David Aiken looks at how some MPs voiced their objections to using the act and why the debate over it isn't done yet. Opponents of the decision to invoke the Federal Emergency Act had been saying all along that it was never needed. Conservative and Bloc Québécois MPs pointed to the fact that border blockades were cleared without the Federal Emergencies Act. And now that the Ottawa occupation has been cleared and the capital's downtown secured, they renewed their objections to the Prime Minister's decision to invoke the Emergencies Act. So using the tactic of a schoolyard bully, he has decided to implement the Emergencies Act so that he can control, manipulate, dictate. It's the equivalent of awakening the Kraken, a legislative leviathan that should only be broken when in the most dire of situations. I don't believe that the government has met the test. But the Prime Minister insisted it was still necessary, noting that many of the Parliament Hill trucks are now camped nearby, ready to return. Indeed, this video shot by Global News Monday afternoon at a farm about halfway between Montreal and Ottawa, there were about 125 vehicles, many of which had been on Parliament Hill these last few weeks, and they're now camped about 100 kilometres from Ottawa, on a private farm, across from a truck stop, supplying them with fuel, food and supplies. When the situation is still of people pre-positioning, people uh, being out there indicating that they are ready uh, to blockade, to continue their illegal occupations, to disrupt Canadians' lives, um, we feel that this measure needs to remain in place. It's a minority government, of course, so the Liberals looked to the New Democrats to support them on this issue. And that's how the vote played out. Liberals in the NDP voted to confirm the Emergencies Act. Conservatives in the BQ voted against. But that is not the end. The Senate now begins debate on the very same issue, and it will vote later this week. And if the vote fails there, then that's it. The powers in the Emergency Act would be immediately revoked. So I think there's a lot of people this morning wondering, is this just even necessary? They, that was the question being asked 
several weeks ago when this was first lobbed. And then, of course, when it was introduced a week ago, people thought, well, hang on, you know, the blockades are moving out of the from the bridge. The blockades have moved from Emerson. They've moved from southern Alberta. Of course, the protesters moved out of Ottawa, as David Aiken just pointed out there. And so what is the point of having this act? And the prime minister has insisted that the threat's not gone. I know Global News posted images last night. There were drone footage from a farm just outside of Ottawa, I think about 100 kilometers from Ottawa, where there's 125 trucks that had been seen at the protests sort of still sitting there. And so are there still plans for them maybe to move back in or move elsewhere? We don't know. But is this necessary to do right now? And I think there's many Canadians wondering that question. Is this much ado about nothing now that the threat appears to be gone? Is it overreach? And I think we still have to ask that question to to many of our leaders. We're going to visit with Dan Vandell, Liberal MP from Winnipeg, just after seven to ask him the question, why did you vote for this? Why was this necessary? And then after that, Greg, I think we have to ask a lot of questions about the the not just using this act, but just the flailing, like the leadership that struggled from top to bottom in Ottawa, in our province, uh, maybe with our police. There's lots of finger pointing to be done, but there's some accountability. Pe- people need to be held accountable as to how we had to get here in the first place. Well, if the if the laws were on the books, if police and law enforcement and all the other authorities had the tools at their disposal to take care of the situation in Alberta at the border, in Manitoba at the border, and what we saw over the weekend in Ottawa, what took so long? That's the bigger question in my mind. If these things, if we had the tools necessary to take the actions that were eventually taken, what on earth took so long? Where are the failings there? So yeah, this goes way beyond uh, overreach with regard to this Emergencies Act, uh, why did it take so long for authorities to act if they, in fact, had the ability to do what Canadians were were asking for? That's the question for me. Also, a heads up, we are having all kinds of technical issues this morning. It took Loren a half an hour to, to find a back door. Her normal connection wasn't working. And 30, in the last 30 seconds, I heard producer Jeff Forte say, Cam can't connect. And then he says, Jeff Braun can't connect. So there's clearly something happening. I might be on all their lines. Let me see. Because <laughs> I was in a panic. So I was just like clicking connect on 97 different backup plans. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing right now. Just- Something's amiss at the Circle K. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So while we, uh, and while we await the connect, I think we actually, is this Cam on the line here, Mr. Fortier? Yes, that is Cam. Well, okay. We're going to start with Cam. But before that... Um, Greg sends me a text message the other day, accompanied by several laughs in his text. So I look at this link that he's shared. It's to purchase a KFC-scented fire log. (laughs) Apparently it's been around for a few years. I've never wanted a fireplace more badly after seeing this text. Greg, how did this enter your world over the weekend? Well, we were out for dinner with some friends, and we put a strict moratorium on conversation around uh, protests, COVID-19, anything to do with anything political, anything to do with the pandemic. And, well, this is where it led. (laughs) Discussions about odd things. And my buddy James says, have you ever seen this uh, fire starter log? It smells like, uh, no. And, uh, you know, I've had wood-burning fireplaces in homes in the past. We don't have one in this current house. But I'm with you. I'm dying to try this out. So I think I'm going to have to get one for my backyard fire pit for this summer. And so I know we've had this discussion before about the smells, the aromas that that maybe put you at ease or bring back memories, but I thought it'd be a good excuse, good reason to have that discussion again. All right, so favorite smells, Cam Poitras on the phone. Let's start with you, sir. The smell that I'm most looking forward to is the smell of spring. Uh, <laughs> like we were talking about shoveling out earlier. Like I've, Honestly, the, the, I call them walls on the side of the driveway here at my place are now over my head. They're over six feet tall now. Um, probably by the end of freaking April, if this is going to keep going, but they'll probably be eight or nine feet tall. So I'm waiting for spring. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely looking forward to it. It's one of those people that's like, oh, why do people complain about winter? You can come over. You can bring over the shovel. If you, you text, text the program right now, 204-780-6860, and I will send you my address, and you can come and shovel for me. Very good. The, the smell I'm of, sp- of winter. I'm tired of it. Uh, I'm tired of the cold. 
bring on spring. I want to smell spring. Everybody knows what that smells like. That's what I want. That's 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 the only thing, smell I care about. Well, like the the, the smell of uh, dog poop that's revealed itself. <laughs> yeah, exactly that, what I was uh, thinking. No, <laughs> the, the, the the warm winds of of uh, I don't know from from warmer places. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, Jeff Braun, what about you? I am going to leapfrog Cam, and I'm going to say I want the smells of summer. I don't care about spring. I want summer. <laughs> I want fresh cut grass. I want the smell of the hot sun burning my skin, burning just the hair and the flesh right off my skin. Just heat, heat, heat. That's all I want. And the drift in front of my window is about eight feet tall. And considering letting you know the Olympic uh, downhill team practice here, but uh, <laughs> summer, we need summer. I'm done with winter as well. <laughs> Loren, what about you? Yeah, like the smell of a coconut sunscreen or something that just makes yeah. you think of, oh, yeah, here we go. Maybe baby oil from like the 1980s. We could all slather ourselves with that. I once, I have to say, every spring when we head to Clear Lake, I always roll down the windows because I love the smell of the trees up there. And that just always makes me instantly relax. That's the sort of natural scent. But if we're going with not as natural scents, I think the smell of bacon frying in the morning, man. You got to go with that. The smell of bacon. Mm-hmm. I just had some peppered uh, bacon over the weekend. Oh, yeah, very, very and? good, delightful. Um, okay, I'm, I, <laughs> I need more bacon in my life, and I think I found the one that I enjoy. Uh, Forte, what about you? When I'm out for a walk in these deep, cold temperatures, I love that smell of a wood burning fire. Somebody's having a, a fireplace Yo. inside their house, and you just get that smell of that smoke, and it just—I uh, don't know—it makes you feel homey. Very cozy. Yes, and very cozy. Even though it's really cold out, you know, it kind of warms me up. Yeah, all you got to do is look at a fire, right? That's why so many people like to put it on the TV, because it makes you feel warm, even though there isn't an actual fire there. Uh, Mackling, what about you? I confess to liking the chemical-like smells. I know it's off-gassing and probably really, really bad for me, but I dig the smell of a new car. I dig the smell of a freshly painted room. I love the smell of freshly laid carpet. I love it all. Give it to me all day, every day. A lot of people like the smell of gasoline. Diesel. You like diesel? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'll pass on that. What about you, Poitras? You like the smell of gasoline? Uh, I don't mind it. I don't hate it. I'd probably just smell it like all day. If I was like worked at like a gas station, I'd probably like, you'd probably gross me out. I mean, like, like the smell of bleach and stuff like that. Like one time I walked into my, uh, I walked into my, my dad's house and he had, he had washed the floors with bleach and I was just getting increasingly more and more sick. And then I just, I just puked all over the floor. All right. Well, hey, there's a smell. And on that note. <laughs> 204-780- <laughs> 6868, we have two tickets to see Rick Mercer as he hosts Just for Laughs Comedy Night in Canada at the Burton Cummings Theatre Friday, May 13th. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. The smells that we love, the smells that are comforting to you, that are pleasant to you. Maybe there's a smell that brings back memories. 204-780-6868, tell us a story for a chance to win. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start at 7.50. We'll check in with Global's Reggie Cicchini to get the latest on Ukraine and Russia. Breakfast with the Bombers at 7.37. But we want to get right into this here because the federal government's use of the Emergencies Act in response to the convoy blockades in Ottawa and at border crossings has passed in a key vote in the House of Commons. In a vote on Monday night, 185 MPs voted in favour of the Act, while 151 voted against the measure. The vote was on a motion put forward by the Liberal government that outlined their decision to invoke the never-before-used emergency powers after weeks-long demonstrations by the so-called Freedom Convoy. The new new Democrats sided with the Liberals in passing the motion, while the Conservatives and the Bloc Quebecois opposed it. Under the terms of the act, the government had to table that motion within seven days of invoking the law, which they did on February 14th. The vote to approve the measure will keep them in place until mid-March at the latest, and the Senate must also vote on the government's request, Loren. Yeah, so that debate in the Senate will continue in the days ahead. Meanwhile, our next guest is the Honourable Dan Vandell, MP for St. Boniface St. Vital, 
also the Minister of Northern Affairs and Minister Responsible for Prairies Economic Development Canada and the Canadian Northern Economic Development Agency. Good morning, Minister Vandell. Good morning. Good to be here. Okay. Yeah, well, thanks for taking the time. There's lots to get through here. So first of all, following the vote, uh, Marco Mendocino, who's the Public Safety Minister and the Emergency Preparedness Minister, Bill Blair, they were a bit vague about whether or not voting on this was in fact a confidence vote. So Mendocino said anyone who voted against it was making a statement that they did not have confidence in the government. Blair denied that Liberal MPs were threatened with expulsion from the caucus if they didn't support the emergency motion. So the question is, why did you vote in support? Was it because you wanted to or because you had to? I voted in support because it was the right thing to do. Uh, but first on the confidence uh, motion, uh, I I have voted in confidence uh, uh uh, motions before on issues of confidence, and uh, we're always clearly uh, notified before that it is a confidence uh, uh, vote. And this time, uh, as one MP out of many, uh, I was never uh, notified that this was a confidence motion. So that's my two cents on that. Uh, listen, over the last over three weeks now, uh, Ottawa has been under occupation in the downtown and the center town. Uh, I live in the center town and uh, uh, when I'm in Ottawa, and quite literally it was it was impossible to sleep for for weeks on end because of uh, truckers honking their horns. Uh, it, people that live here full time were getting harassed when they would go out and try to uh, go about their daily activities, uh, not to mention the diesel population uh, pollution, I mean, not population diesel pollution. Uh, neighborhoods were literally cut off. Businesses were cut off. Uh, downtown's largest shopping mall, the Rideau Centre, has is still closed today. I think, I think it's scheduled to reopen tomorrow, Wednesday. That's well over three weeks of, uh, of it being closed, along with dozens of, uh, of restaurants uh, in the area and other businesses that are closed. Uh, literally tens of millions of dollars of, uh, of lost uh, business not to mention what's occurred at the borders, including uh, in Emerson. So um, I voted on uh, on the Emergencies Act because it is uh, it was the right thing to do. It's very targeted. It's proportional to the uh, to the risk out there, and it's time limited. Uh, we are working very closely with uh, with all police departments. The streets are now clear, but uh, let's let, let's be let's be very clear. The risk there's still a risk there. There is a, uh, a secure area around the downtown uh, of Ottawa where police are, are monitoring it. And there's still a risk uh, of, uh, of some uh, truckers and other, other people who want to continue the occupation of returning. I know there's about 100 vehicles that are gathered uh, less than, uh, less than uh, 100 kilometers outside of Ottawa. They've been there for a few days. And nobody's quite sure what their next move is. So that's why uh, this was the right thing to do. Over the weekend, we saw the blockade, the occupation, the protests moved out of Ottawa. Over the last several weeks, we've seen border blockades in at least three provinces come and go. Uh, So these events were used as the justification for the Emergencies Act. But for many Canadians, this feels like this act is government overreach. So what would be the justification for uh, enabling and continuing these government powers? Well, as I just said, uh, the risk is clearly still there, and that's not politicians speaking. That's uh, that's our police services. I've mentioned about a uh, hundred a uh, hundred vehicles are still gathered at a particular farm, less than a hundred kilometers outside of Ottawa, and uh, no one's quite sure where they're going to uh, where go- where they're going to go from there. Uh, the uh, there still is a secure area around the Ottawa uh, downtown. And police services are telling us that they're not uh, confident that it is the right time to pull back now. Uh, I'm hoping that that time uh, comes very soon. But listen, it's quite clear when we voted on this that uh, the Charter of Rights and, and, and Liberties will be respected every step of the way. This is not the War Measures Act. Nobody, There's no soldiers on the streets. There's... Uh, um, it is not the War Measures Act, even though many people in, in Centertown, I think, were wanting the War Measures Act. This is the Emergencies Act. We're using police services of all three levels of government in a coordinated way. Uh, why this couldn't, uh, 
why, why the, the Ottawa municipal forces were not able to keep uh, keep the peace for the first three weeks is something that we still have to uh, to find out once this is over. But it's clear that since uh, we've invoked the Emergencies Act, uh, the streets have been cleared. There's been great progress made, but we're not at a point now where we're, we're ready to pull back yet. There's been suggestion on several fronts, uh, Minister Vandell, that what we saw at Coots, what we saw in Emerson and Windsor, and of course in Ottawa, uh, the the clearing up of those situations, the dispersal of those, uh, whatever word you want to use, protests, convoy, blockades, were, were done with measures and powers that police had without the Emergency Act in place. Is that the, is that the case in your opinion, in your view? That's not what I'm hearing. I've heard uh, from different police sources that the Emergencies Act were a great uh, were a great help in clearing those uh, those border crossings, and that uh, you know the reality is uh, since we've invoked it a week ago, the message has been sent, the streets have been cleared, the borders have been cleared. Although I understand Winnipeg is still uh, uh, there's still a, a demonstration in downtown Winnipeg that is getting uh, smaller. I understand. Uh, but uh, clearly the Emergencies Act did have an effect, uh, if only of just the sending, setting the tone that the federal government and the RCMP and all of our resources are, uh, are, are going to do all things necessary to, uh, to restore the public peace and uh, restore a sense of normalcy uh, for not only the residents, but the, uh, the business owners of, of downtown Ottawa. As I said before, the largest shopping mall, the Rideau Centre, has been closed for over three weeks. Think of the hundreds of employees and employers uh, that are hurting because of that. And uh, it was simply not something that was... I, and I haven't even mentioned the desecration of uh, uh, the war memorial, the, uh, the offensive signs, the hatred, the, uh, uh, just the, uh, the children that were living in... Uh, in uh, in cabs for weeks on end uh it was just it was just uh it was not a demonstration it was an occupation and something that was dangerous dan vandell mp for saint boniface saint fatel thank you very much for joining us this morning we appreciate the time thank you Just very quickly here, we've got Rick Mercer tickets to give away for May 13th, Burton Cummings Theatre, Just for Laughs Comedy Night in Canada. We're asking you about the smells you love. Greg, what have we got? Simon says a freshly bathed baby snuggled in your arms for the bedtime bottle, and that brought back memories for me, you know, the Johnson & Johnson's, the baby shampoo. Nothing like the smell of a baby's head. And Mike says nothing beats going for a walk, hike, or camping in the backcountry and the musty, sweet smell of damp and decaying leaves in the fall. Mike's already in the fall. (laughs) Hands down, his favorite. Come on, you're skipping way ahead there. You can't get to fall. No, I, well, we can have spring smells. We can have summer smells. We're just only because we're in the throes of the craziest winter that I feel I can ever remember. Am I saying let's not get to fall just yet? And uh, actually on the subject of that crazy winter, Loren, who are we talking to just after Global News at eight o'clock? Well, we're going to speak to a former meteorologist with Environment Canada whose tweets this weekend, I think, had many of us saying, aha, I knew it. I knew it was bad. <laughs> so he's going to share some of the numbers with us. How does this winter compare for snow? How does it compare for cold? Is it one of the snowiest on record or could it even break all the records? We'll find out after eight. Breakfast with the Bombers for the cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. This morning, the host of the 680CJB Sports Show, Christian O'Mell has set his alarm to join us at this early hour. This is very early for a man whose workday typically ends around 9.30 p.m. So thank you for this, Christian. Good morning. Good morning, fellas and, and Loren. I don't know why I said fellas. There's a woman involved in this. Clearly, my brain is working so well at this early hour. <laughs> I am uh, definitely not in bed with my cat right now, but happy to join you. <laughs> Well, I'm glad hey, to clear that is, up. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. 
Hey, this is the first weekend in several months without professional football of any type. Blue Bombers have been adding players to the roster here and there and coming up the Blue Bomber Midwinter Special. Let's start with the Bombers. What holes do they need to fill as we head toward the CFL College Draft May 3rd? Well, I think uh, the special team's return area is something we saw them struggling without Janarian Grant last year. Charles Nelson was okay at best, but when Grant was in there, it was a really different experience. He has not been re-signed, so that's something that I'd like to see them look at. Kicker is another one. Sergio Castillo has not been re-signed. He's looking like he's probably going to try to make another chance at making the NFL, and we saw them really struggle at the kicker position, too. Uh, Pasoli's trying to chew on the microphone cable. Please stop, sir. Please stop. Uh, receiver, they, they lost Kenny Lawler uh, in free agency. Uh, they signed Greg Ellingson. And, and we've seen the Bombers, and this goes for defensive back as well, we've seen them find a lot of good players. Their scouting has been awesome that you've never heard of before. Like Kenny Lawler a couple years ago, we didn't know who he was. He comes out of nowhere. And all of a sudden becomes the CFL's leading receiver in just a couple seasons. So I think you're going to see the Bombers at training camp. They're going to bring in receivers. They're going to bring in guys in the secondary and in, on the defensive side, too. The reality is they've re-signed a lot of their players from the Great Cup championship squad. So there's always going to be a few spots where you can't bring everyone back. But I think they've done a pretty solid job in that. How does that set them up, do you think, this year, Christian? I know it's early days, but there's lots of people saying, you know, if we could just keep this exact same team, we might be on the way to, you know, a three-peat. But as you just mentioned, that's not possible to keep everyone. They came pretty darn close. So do you think they're set up well, given uh, the few months we have left before training camp kicks in? I think if you look around the CFL, some of the teams that really struggled last year look a lot better on paper, at least. Like, BC looks better, though. I'm not sure about their quarterback situation. Ottawa obviously looks a lot better. I think Toronto got a little bit better. And I really think that the Blue Bombers, though, have something that those teams don't have, and that's the swagger of a champion. right? They've got a lot of players who have been there, have done that. And the question for me is just injuries. right? The Bombers were extremely healthy in 2021. And that's something most other teams did not have, especially at the quarterback position, right? Zach Kolaris was healthy the whole season. Almost every other team had to start multiple quarterbacks in 2021. So if they can remain healthy, they've got their entire offensive line back, except for Drew DeJarle, who's going to the NFL. Yes, Andrew Harris is gone. They've got a lot of trust in that offensive line and Brady Oliveira. The defensive line is mostly the same. Willie Jefferson's back. Jackson Jeffcoat is back. They trust Casey Sales. Jake Thomas is in there. Adam Big Hill at linebacker. Brandon Alexander will miss some of the season after he hurt his knee in the Grey Cup, but he's back as well. Dietrich Nichols extended through 2023. So I really like this team's chances if they stay healthy to be, uh, again, back in an 18-game season. You're looking at, for sure, I would think at least 11 wins in 2022. All right, Christian, tell us about the midwinter special. What's in store? Well, so next Monday night, February 28th, 7 to 9 p.m., I'm going to dedicate two hours of the CJOB Sports Show to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. This is something Bob Irving used to do uh, back in the the days that he was the play-by-play voice, and I'm taking over for this year because I'm hosting the CJOB Sports Show, so it it makes sense. And we're going to have on a lot of players. We're going to ask for Mike O'Shea, Kyle Walters, and we're going to just talk to them about their offseason, what they've been up to since the Great Cup, what their plans are for 2022, looking ahead to the training camp, their opportunities to three-peat. Of course, if you ask Mike O'Shea, hey, you get a three-peat, you know what he's going to say. And they're all going to probably say the same thing as I've been talking to a lot of Bomber players on the show so far. We're not really looking ahead that far. You know, one game at a time, we're going to know this week, those sort of things. But everything Blue Bombers for two whole hours on the show that's next monday from 7 to 9 p.m well we promise not to get you out of bed at 7 30 next tuesday morning appreciate, appreciate it christian it. no problem guys i'll i'll uh, go watch a movie now i guess yeah <laughs> i'm not keeping that promise i think we should just call him randomly at 7 30 on given any day just see what he's up to always off so christian omel all right the host of the CJOB Sports Show with an assist from his cat, Sully. 
chewing on the uh, microphone. And uh, for more on the adventures of Christian O'Mel and Sully the Cat, make sure you follow him on Instagram and uh, you'll be entertained. I, uh, it's one of my favorite things whenever Christian posts something because I know he's going to have something, Loren, involving his cat, he often hiding in a box or hiding in the closet or just basically slapping him. And, and they don't like it. I, I said to him, does your cat even like you? <laughs> the cats like anyone. I, uh, I think they just basically tolerate us because they know yeah. we feed them. But yeah. I don't I think the them. cat, you're in the cat's world, you know? <laughs> yes. Ultimately, the cats do run the entire planet. There's, <laughs> there's no question in my mind. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb coming up later on this hour, just after 8.45. We are going to get reaction from the Emergencies Act vote. We'll speak with a professor at the University of Ottawa. We'll speak with another one from the University of Brandon at 9.35. And in a moment, we're going to talk about just how awful winter truly has been, uh, at least for, I think, safe to say many of us think that. I'm sure there are some who just are happy, happy, happy. But uh, before that, we're talking about the smells that make you happy for a chance to win Rick Mercer tickets just for laughs, comedy night in Canada. And uh, Greg, what's Pat got? Greg? Greg, are you there? <laughs> Loren, I got Loren's there. <laughs> you want to you have a run at that? I'd rather just laugh at Greg. I think I heard him, but I'm going to say, Pat says a heavenly smell of home-baked bread waiting for my grandma's... Wafting from my grandma's wood stove brings me back to a simpler, happier time. Both the wood stove and baked bread are terrific smells. So the combination of both there is wonderful, Pat. And Greg, are you there now? I am. I was trying to keep whiskey and Abby away from the airwaves. I apologize. I live in the country and there are a few smells. This is from uh, Gail. Reminds me of days on the farm. The smell of freshly mowed hay. The blooms of canola, flax and clover. However, the best smell for me is the harvest. Combining the fields or combining the fields and in the air in the mornings in August, people in the city need to come out to the country in August and experience this. There's nothing like it. I'd like to get to April, May, June 1st, <laughs> and then talk about August. But uh, Gail, uh, your sentiment has been shared and I understand it completely. Keep those texts coming. The smells that you enjoy, the comforting smells, the pleasant smells, the smells that bring back memories. And we'll give away a pair of Just for Laughs Comedy Night in Canada, hosted by Rick Mercer, Burton Cummings Theatre, Friday, May 13th. We'll give those away just after 9.15. How many times have you said over the past couple of days, oh man, look at all this snow. I think we've all exclaimed that at some point because, you know, there might be snow drifts reaching rooftops. You might have snow piles, depending on where you live, that are now snow hills. I was driving down the street the other day and thought I couldn't see on either side. There was so much, so much snow by the sidewalk, so much snow on the uh, curbside. And so it was just like going down this trail. And so you might not mind all the snow if you can get out and play with it. But then, of course, there's also this extreme cold. We've got all sorts of questions about all of the above. Rob Paula is a former meteorologist with Environment Canada. Good morning, Rob. Good morning. So over the weekend, I think you tweeted something that it had most of us and it got shared extensively. It was the numbers for snow and people were going, I knew it. I knew this has been one of the snowiest winters ever. So Let's go over some of those numbers. Where are we at right now? Okay, yeah, I, uh, I mentioned that uh, up to February 20th, uh, Winnipeg so far this winter has picked up 157 centimeters of snow. And up to this point, that puts us up to third place in the third highest amount, uh, most amount of snow up to this point uh, since uh, we kept uh, track of snowfall records in Winnipeg extending back to 1872. So when people say that uh, uh, this is one of the snowiest uh, winters that they can remember in a while, uh, there's good reason for that. Uh, we are in like top 10 category right now. Yeah, as I'm looking at your list here, the top 10, and I'm going back into living memory, really, you know, 1996, 97 is number six on the list, and we all know what happened in the spring of 97. But 2005, 2006 is number 10, and, and the rest really, uh, you, you have to be of a certain vintage. you got to be uh, over 50 to remember any of the other years where we had more snow or similar amounts. So 
Do you think that's surprising and that has this snuck up on us a little bit in the last couple of weeks here, Rob? Uh, it, yeah, it has uh, really come on strong within the past uh, eight weeks or so. Uh, it might be uh, hard to believe, but up until December 21st, uh, we had about 37 centimeters of snow, which was actually a little bit below average uh, for our snowfall up to that point. But then after December 21st, the pattern changed. We got a lot more systems a lot more frequently. And over the past 60 days, uh, we've picked up 120 centimeters of snow. That's that's an average of about 15 centimeters a week for two straight months. So there's no wonder why it keeps piling up, why snow crew, uh, clearing crews are having trouble uh, keeping up with it. Because, first of all, there's no room to put it anywhere. And second of all, there's no time to haul it away either. So it just keeps building up. And that's really been the problem, the frequency of the snowfall over the past eight weeks. Got to ask is, you know, we, we were wondering at the beginning of the season, are we going to get enough moisture to help our farmers and help out with the drought? So how, how do you think we're going to fare uh, when this is all done? Well, this is going to have a, uh, a big impact on uh, the spring soil moisture recharge. So it's going to be a lot better than the, we, the situation we were in last year where we had very minimal snow cover. Uh, Snow cover was gone by the first week of March last year, and uh, there wasn't much uh, precipitation uh, in spring, and that led to the uh, extreme dryness uh, in in the summer as well. So uh, soil moisture was very low last year uh, and wasn't replenished at all with any of the uh, snow melt. This year it's going to be a different story. There's going to be a lot more um, soil moisture recharge, so they're going to have a much better... uh, growing season conditions to plant the crop this year. Okay, so that's the good news as we look to spring, Paul, for all our producers out there. But right now we're still stuck in this cold. Is that just tell me it's going away and going away for good? (laughs) I'd I'd love to do that, but (laughs) we're going to have to put up with the cold for uh, much of this week. A bit of a moderating trend towards the end of the week, Um, but still below normal. Uh, I'm looking next week, uh, the models are showing that uh, we're going to be moderating and maybe getting close to the freezing mark, believe it or not, for the uh, first few days of March. And uh, that would be uh, great news uh, because of the cold that we've had for the past couple of months. Um, Keep in mind, uh, normal normal high temperatures in early March now are are minus 5. So if we even get back to normal, uh, we're going to be thinking that we're in a heat wave with uh, temperatures that mild. Rob Paula, former meteorologist with Environment Canada, Rob's OBS on Twitter. Rob, thank you very much for the insight as always, sir. Uh, you're welcome. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. We heard about it in Jeff Braun's newscast. Ottawa judge expected to decide today whether to grant bail to one of the leading organizers behind the protest on Parliament Hill. And Greg, I understand as you learned it from Twitter because where else would Greg Mackling be spending time but on Twitter? Uh, that's correct, my friend David Aiken, who was live tweeting Tamara Leach's uh, bail hearing eight minutes ago, tweeted, with bail denied, Crown now seeking an order that Leach not communicate with co-convoy organizer pat king and chris barber and so that is that tamara leach has been denied bail in an ottawa courtroom this morning a separate bail hearing scheduled this morning for fellow protest organizer pat king so any developments that come out of that we will share them with you as soon as we learn now quote the threat still exists that's the message from the prime minister and canada's public safety minister when it comes to why they voted to officially approve the use of the emergencies act in response to the convoy blockades in ottawa loren Yeah, so we know 185 MPs, members of Parliament, voted in favour of the Act, 151 voted against. It does have to still be debated in the Senate, but no matter the outcome, I think there are Canadians who are asking this morning, well, what is the point? Why are we doing this? The blockades at the bridges and borders are gone. The protesters in Ottawa are also gone at least for now. Wesley Wark is a national security expert and senior fellow at the Centre for International Governance, Innovation in Ottawa and joins us now. Good morning, Wesley. Good morning. So the question, if the protesters are gone, the blockades are over, what's the point of this act? I mean, what what will it be used for if we're now moving forward? 
Uh, well, the government, I think, has made it um, fairly clear that they want to keep the um, uh, Emergencies Act powers uh, in place just to make sure that there aren't any, uh, in, the, in the near future, any kind of return to an, an effort at occupation or, or cross-border blockages. And, um, you know, I think they've at the same time uh, reinforced that message by saying, you know, they don't they don't have any interest in in maintaining the Emergencies Act any longer than necessary. But I think they're they're trying to be prudent about the possibility that there will be uh, some kind of resumed effort. And there is um, a remnant of the the trucker protest camped out uh, in a rural uh, part of eastern Ontario about 80 kilometers from from Ottawa. And so they'll be they'll be watching uh, that. And there are uh, continue to be reports that um, some of the protest members are still circulating in Ottawa, still, um, you know, living in downtown Ottawa hotels, still roaming around maskless and so on. So so there is some remnant, I think, uh, of a threat there. And, and you know, in terms of the Liberals being able to pass their um, uh, Emergencies Act uh, measure by Parliament, uh, last night, uh, they did get the, and they needed the support of the NDP. The NDP, I think, are going to be pretty fierce watchdogs uh, over the use of the Emergencies Act, and and the NDP leader Jagmeet Singh has made it very clear that that if you know he and his party feel that it is no longer necessary, you know they they will they will change sides on this, and that would end the the Liberal government's minority government's ability to continue. So. So I think the clock is really taking on the Emergencies Act, and and I don't expect that it will uh, be sustained for very long unless we see a you know serious uh, reemergence of the protest. Wesley, a uh, quick question, then a follow up here. Uh, just to be clear, even though this was passed in Parliament yesterday and needs to go to sent- Senate, as as Loren pointed out, this has yeah. been in place since February fourteenth, correct? Uh, yes, it was. It was announced on February 14th. The, the actual date, because the order and council uh, regulations were only presented on February 15th, um, the the seven sitting days period for Parliament to approve starts on February 15th. Just to get really into the weeds, and the 30 mm-hmm. day uh, period for the the uh, the time span of the Emergencies Act starts from February 15th. Okay, excellent. So we were had conversation with Dan Vandell, uh, MP for St. Boniface, St. Vitell, also a member of, of Justin Trudeau's cabinet. And there are those who feel that all the laws and options law enforcement required to clean up the situation and clear the, the barricades and the protests at Coots, at Emerson, and in Ottawa existed within the confines of the law as it existed before this Declaration of Emergencies Act. How do you feel about that? Yeah, you know, I think theoretically that's true, but there's a difference between theory and practice. And what we saw, and, and I think this, you know, was particularly a matter that hit hard for anyone living uh, in Ottawa. What we saw was a is a lengthy three-week process whereby different levels of government essentially passed the buck. So you had the Ottawa um, city city authorities; they declared their own emergency act, but were were not able to make it effective. That was then followed by the province of Ontario, which declared its Emergencies Act, which has somewhat similar powers to the federal one, but it did nothing with them. And so at the end of the day, I think, I think it, you know, the reasonable conclusion has to be that the federal government realized that, that it was left essentially holding the bag. It had the Emergencies Act that it could call on. It had the resources that it could call on. It was actually quite creative in the use of this old act, which dates back to 1988. It's never been modernized. So, you know, I, th- I think the federal government found itself reluctantly in a position where, given the failure of other levels of government, both at the municipal and provincial, um, they had no option but to, to exercise their, their powers. And, and I've not heard an argument about um, you know, any evidence that any other level of government, even though it theoretically had laws and maybe capacity to, to use their own legislation were were willing or able to do so that just wasn't the evidence on the ground uh, certainly not in Ontario our guest is Wesley Wark a national security expert and senior fellow at the Center for International Governance Innovation in Ottawa and uh, Wesley it's uh, Brett McGarry here just wondering with the, the fact that no major protests or blockades are happening at 
the moment. There, yes, you say that there's a possibility that action could resume, but what's in the act that we need right now? Uh, well, what are, what's in the act is, is what was in the act when it was invoked um, on February 14th, 15th, when it was declared on the 14th, and, and the regulations were brought forward to Parliament on the 15th. So it is, it is a set of powers, including financial powers, the ability to declare protected zones, which they did, of course, in, in downtown Ottawa, um, and, and the ability to block uh, you know, people who are engaged in illegal activities to, to potentially block their um, personal and corporate bank accounts, which is a pretty ferocious financial tool. So those, those, you know, those are considerable weapons uh, that are really meant to be a deterrent against uh, the, res- you know, um, the resurgence of any protest movement. You know, and I, I think the government and all Canadians hope that it doesn't, doesn't come back. But I do think it is prudent for the government to wait a few days and, and see, because we, it's very difficult to predict where this movement might might go next. Maybe it will simply disappear from the landscape. Maybe not. We just don't know. Uh, and it would, of course, be extremely foolish to suddenly say, well, we're dropping the Emergencies Act now. And two days from now, you see a trucker convoy descend on Ottawa again. You use the word ferocious, uh, Wesley, when talking about the financial powers that are invoked as yeah. part of this act. And there might be some out there that's saying, you know, hang on, if there's just some p- p- person who donated $50 to this convoy without maybe having full understanding of what was taking place, could that person have their bank accounts frozen? Like just the average Canadian who who threw 10 bucks or, or what yeah. whatnot at this? Yeah, no, that's a good question, and it was addressed in uh, in various press conferences that were held uh, as the motion was being debated uh, yesterday in Parliament. And you know, the government has said it, it wants the ability to be able to to sort of follow the money with regard to to the protest movement. And what they mean by that in, is in essence is to try and prevent um, you know uh, crowdfunding uh, platforms. From from operating to support the uh, you know an illegal occupation, and they have said very clearly that and, and this is kind of backed up by how how the regulations act actually work that the the intention behind them in terms of following the money is to follow the money into the hands of of key influencers and 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 protest organizers. The idea isn't that they're going to try and follow the money in terms of. Uh, people who donated small amounts of money, uh, you know, that that would would clearly be an overreach and it would clearly be uh, not fitting with the provisions of the Emergencies Act, which, you know, require not only that it, that it, that it follow the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, but it this may sound like legal language, but it actually means something that when you use the Emergencies Act, you have to use it in a reasonable and proportional way. And any lawyers listening to you will know exactly what that means. It's a considerable kind of hedge on, on the way in which you can use these powers. But it, it in essence means in practice that you cannot use the Emergencies Act to go after someone who donated some small amount of money in sympathy to the movement, perhaps not knowing, or even if they did know um, uh, that it was being used in, in an illegal way. It's that, that is just not the intention or the capacity of the Emergencies Act. Wesley Wark, national security expert, senior fellow at the Center for International Governance Innovation in Ottawa. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate this very much. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks very much. Mackling McGarry McNabb, we have Rick Mercer tickets just for Laughs Comedy Night in Canada, May 13th, Friday night, the Burton Cummings Theatre. And we're asking you about your favorite smells. We were talking earlier about this KFC fire log that's been in existence for a few years. We didn't know that was a thing. Uh, Greg and I certainly want one. Loren, would you want that or is that uh, not something? No. I, so when I went to university in Ottawa, I lived like like stone throw away from a KFC mm. and you get sick of that. No, no, like a hot summer day and you just want to sit on your balcony and have a cold one and not smell grease yeah. the whole time. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> it's nice, like I suppose, like all things in moderation. I yeah. guess. In fairness, being outside a KFC on a hot summer day is not pleasant. The smell no. of a bucket of chicken is one thing. The smell of the actual restaurant, no. uh, not so much. Have you ever no. lived close to a, a chicken delight or a KFC? KFC well, you here's smell the thing. It all the That's time? what I'm saying. I lived next to a KFC in Ottawa, and then when I lived on Jesse Avenue in Winnipeg years oh, ago, just off Corridan, there was a Chicken Delight right there. 
And so then I lived right behind a Chicken Delight, and I was like, I feel like my goal. And they also worked at a Chicken Terry's. Chicken Terry's. Yes. So, <laughs> which became a Chicken Delight, did it so not? A lot, lot of fried chicken in my life, and I'm, and I'm done with it, okay? <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll read this, one, this first one quick. Uh, Greg, you take... Um, you take Karen P, and then Loren's got the winner. Uh, this one, just a quick one. Listener says, it's funny you ask this question. It's been 26 years since we lost my mom, but the other day I went into Goody's Bakery, and the intense smell of apple pie, I just immediately saw my mom's face. What an incredible feeling. That's a lovely story. Thank you for that. And, uh, Greg, what's Karen P got for us? Yeah, Goody's is so good. Um, my favorite smell, my grandma was the most amazing woman I knew. When she hugged you, you felt like all your worries melted away. I remember a wonderful smell. She passed away in 2016. When I was helping my mom clean out her condo, I kept a favorite sweater of hers. I put it in a plastic bag. It still smells like her to date. Every time I need to feel the stress of my life melt away, I open the bag and smell. It makes me feel like she's still with us, and that hug feeling still melts my stresses away Love you, Grams. That from Karen. But our winner is another Karen, Loren. What's she got? Yeah, so the other Karen I'm going to call her says, When I was growing up, my dear mom often baked cinnamon buns or homemade deep-fried donuts on Friday afternoons. As I walked home from school, getting nearer to our house, I could smell the aromas of her amazing cinnamon buns and donuts. I would sprint home with a smile on my face, my taste buds drooling. I have yet to find a comparable cinnamon bun. However, it was the donuts that intrigued me the most. After she fried those melt-in-your-mouth donuts, I got to put them in a large brown paper bag and gently shake them with icing sugar. The first bite was heavenly and left a tail of powdery icing sugar around my mouth and nose. Better yet, was the donut whole, the little round center that was the result of the handheld donut cutter. Of course, I've never tasted or enjoyed the aroma of donuts even close to my mom's. Part of my childhood memories was the little kitchen radio, always on CJOB. Peter Warren's voice, news, sports, and weather... And now I have followed in her footsteps. Thank you so much, Karen. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, our question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. Do you agree with the invocation of the Emergencies Act? So far, we've got 64% who say no, 31% say yes, 4% say not sure. Cast your vote, cjob.com. We've also put it up on our Instagram, at 680CJOB. And this has to do with the federal government's use of the Emergencies Act in response to the convoy blockades in Ottawa and at border crossings, passing a key vote in the House of Commons last night. 185 MPs voted in favour of the Act. 151 voted against the measure. The vote was on a motion put forward by the Liberal government that outlined their decision to invoke the never-before-used emergency power after weeks-long demonstrations by the so-called Freedom Convoy. So, a couple of questions here. Was this move required? What precedent does it set? Kelly Saunders is Associate Professor at Brandon University. Kelly teaches a number of courses in Canadian politics at the federal level, as well as courses in public administration and international relations. Kelly, thank you for this. Hi. Thanks for having me. Of course, uh, always a pleasure. So before we get into the legal questions around this act and some of the other discussion, I have watched more question period proceedings in the past two weeks than I have for years. And even with limited members in the chamber, Kelly, the shouting, the disrespect, the at times childlike behavior is a huge turnoff. And if I wasn't tuning in to educate myself for my job, I would likely turn it off. How do we get past the... (laughs) the divisive rhetoric and sense of disrespect in Parliament, because I feel like that's as important as anything in order for us to be able to move forward from where we stand at this moment. Yeah, I think that's a great comment. And I think that this is really a watershed moment that takes us way beyond issues of vaccine mandates or or truckers' protests. And really speaks to the, you know, the quality of our democracy or lack thereof, you know, as you pointed up, as you just talked about. Right. I think we're all feeling this sense of frustration with our political leaders, with with not taking action, with how they conduct themselves. So this is this is not a good moment uh, for us in Canada. 
you know, and, and when reflecting on it not being a good moment for us in Canada, I think it, that's one of the key statements, Kelly, because we're not used to so many things in this country when it comes to protests, them being extended, them being debated as to whether or not they're peaceful. And if you're living in Ottawa, you'd argue they weren't peaceful. If you're watching from another part of the country, you might say, what's the big deal? And then there's the move of the police going in and, and removing them. And, and some people saying, oh, I, you know, we haven't watched protests be dismantled that often in this country either and so we're conflicted on a number of fronts and perhaps that's just because we're in a whole new space we we haven't been have we have we been in this sort of territory ever before yeah absolutely this is a whole new space for us and and one that we're uncomfortable with and it's not that we haven't had protest before right or even protests like i'm thinking of the yoka crisis you know, back in 1990, sure. where the military was sent in. And, and so we have, or the Winnipeg general strike, right, going back mm-hmm. to 1919. So, I mean, we have seen, you know, uh, these kinds of moments in Canadian history, but but the tone of this one is different. And, and for a whole number of reasons, you know, as, as we've been talking about, not only for just the frustration that we have in our political system and in our political leaders, that's one thing. Um, the, the fact that we needed to, we reached this point where we needed to invoke an emergencies act and send in the military and watching that, and, or not sorry, the military, but, uh, you know, police forces and threats of sending in the military and just watching that all unfold on our TV sets every night, no matter how you feel about this issue, whether you agree or disagree with, with the protesters or with the uh, invocation of the Emergencies Act, it's still an unsettling moment, I think, for all of us in this country. And, and, and that's what's really unfortunate. What do you think politicians need to do to regain trust in in you know, part of the population of Canada? Because when we spoke earlier with Liberal MP Dan Vandal, we were uh, received a number of text messages from people saying he's a liar and he's just spewing propaganda. You know, there's a there's a big part of uh, this country who feels that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think there's two issues sort of at play. On the one hand. We need politicians to stop being so risk adverse and 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 lead, right? Make the tough decisions that sometimes might be unpopular, but that are important from a public safety point of view or or from a public policy point of view where they are willing to stand uh, and make a decision and hold themselves to account, you know, uh, for the decisions that they're making. Instead, we see everybody from all stripes kind of passing the buck and blame shifting and 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 blaming everybody else and not showing leadership. And I think that's one area of why we're so frustrated with our politicians and our, and our political system. And that goes across all parties and all ideologies. But on the other hand, I think, you know, we are in this era of where we don't want to believe science and experts and data uh, and have informed, you know, uh, reasonable civil conversations with each other about important issues, whether it's on the pandemic or on climate change or any other issue affecting us. Um, and, and, you know, that's just the creep of social media where we read something online, we don't think about it critically, we take it at face value. And so we're challenging everything and everybody. And, and, and not that challenging you know, challenging experts is not a good thing. We should always, you know, be thinking critically and, and thinking about the reasons why we believe what, would, what we believe. But there comes a point where, you know, if we're, if we're denying science and truth, and there is such a thing as truth, um, you know, then that gets us into very dangerous ground. And we just, and, you know, we just end up having shouting matches with each other. And I think that's, unfortunately, we're seeing what, what's happened in the United States. It's certainly impacted us here in Canada. And that's why I'm saying this protest goes way beyond issues of, you know, just vaccine mandates or, or what truckers are trying to advocate for. So when you look at this Emergencies Act and, and the move made officially back on, on February 14th slash 15th, and then the vote last night, what do we have to keep in mind with regards to the the division of power and responsibility here? Because I've had a lot of conversations with folks over the last two weeks with regard to, we don't want politicians directing the police. There, there are There are situations where we might like that, but for the most part, that that's really the law doesn't allow that right kelly talk about that division of powers and who can do what when right absolutely well this is one of the complications of federalism right where you've got a country like canada where the federal government has certain powers the provinces have certain powers 
And, and normally that's a good thing, right? We know in Manitoba what works for Manitobans, so we should decide for ourselves things like health care and education. Uh, Ottawa should look after our national defense and, you know, and things like that. So normally that's a good thing in a country as diverse and big as, as Canada. But federalism uh, gets into problems when, at the end of the day, who's in charge? You know, so when things are unfolding and, and Canadians are getting frustrated, Manitobans are getting frustrated, who is in charge? Is it the Premier of Manitoba? Is it the police chief? Is it the mayor of Winnipeg? You know, and I'm thinking specifically here of the protest in downtown Winnipeg. Is it the Prime Minister of Canada? Like, where do citizens, who are they able to hold to account? And the bottom line is, is that all of those people are accountable in certain ways because federalism is all about sharing power. But when things happen and, and someone needs to step up and, and be a leader, it, federalism gets very, very messy. So our system just allows itself for that kind of messiness to happen. And that's exactly what we've seen right over the last three weeks. Everybody's blaming everybody else. No one's stepping up. And at the end of the day, you know, someone did have to step up. And, and, and that is the prime minister. You know, at the end of the day, he's responsible for public safety. So I think that's where you saw, you know, the government feeling compelled to have to do this. Um, and, you know, and but it's still an easy way, of, as I said, of, of blaming, blaming each other and passing the buck because no one really wants to take responsibility for having to do this. Well, people like to take responsibility often when things are going good or going well, Kelly, maybe mm-hmm. not as often when things are going poorly. And, and it's felt like, you know, we're in that that other space, that poor space for quite some time now. If this continues in terms of protesters coming back and forth, if they come back to Ottawa, if we have to extend this emergency act, what do you see happening just in Ottawa in the House of Commons? Because there was a lot of people talking yesterday about the idea that this wasn't just a vote on the act, but a vote on the confidence of this government. And the longer this goes on, the more that might shift and change. Where do you sit on that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and, and it's proved by the fact that this was a confidence vote, right? Which means that, you know, if, if the Liberal government did not receive, um, you know, um, over 50% of, of, of the vote, then they would have automatically fallen. That's what a confidence vote means. So it, it just speaks to what you just said, the seriousness of this. I mean, I think that no question, this is serious legislation. It's not something you want to invoke on a whim. Um, it has to be monitored on a day-to-day basis. Uh, the NDP has stated very clearly that by supporting the Liberals, it's not like they're giving them a free pass, nor should anybody, right? As I said, this is really serious legislation. Um, so I think it needs to be monitored on a day-to-day basis. And you know, when we see that, that, that we've really turned a corner in, in bringing back law and order in this country and keeping our borders open and, and not holding, you know, individuals and small businesses hostage by a small minority, um, that, you know, then the, the moment that we can, you know, walk back from the Emergencies Act, you know, is absolutely the moment when we should. No one wants to see police arresting Canadians, right? I mean, that's just not the kind of thing we want to see happening. Um, so you want to be very careful, very very measured uh, and, and how long you're going to allow this to go on for. And, and those protections are built into the act. I mean, it has to be reviewed after 30 days. It only is in effect for 30 days. Um, you know, so there's, there are protections built into the act itself. Um, the charter rights and freedoms still applies. This is not like a civil law in Canada or, you know, or, or you know, we're, 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 we're suspending civil law, I should say, in Canada. Um, it's not, you know, it's not martial law. Um, so there are protections built into the act that will make sure that, um, you know, that the checks and balances are there. Kelly Saunders, Associate Professor at Brandon University, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much. A pleasure as always. Great. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.